What Is My Podcast About? This is a podcast where we get together on a fortnightly basis to just discuss something to see if that's possibly what our episode will be about in the podcast as a whole. Uh, my name is Keith Ramsey. As always, I am joined by Peter Akerley. Howdy! And Matthew Grace. Hello! So, as you can probably already tell from the audio, uh, we're not recording this one in person like we normally do. Our last episode was not the planned one, uh, but we did release that definite episode. And now we got the actual episode this week. Yeah, uh, Nova Scotia went back into lockdown, and so we went back into hiding. They'll never Eventually. find us. Unrelated, of course. Unrelated, yes. Our hiding had nothing to do with Nova Scotia going into lockdown. And we just thought it'd be fun. Fun is not the word I should be using. Probably. Cool. What's going on in the world? Because I have been living under a rock, quite literally. Yeah, it has been a bit of time since we last discussed what's going on. Um... Some uh, more of the older news, uh, apparently we got some uh, site footage uh, for the Sonic 2 filming, and uh, there's just statues of Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles uh, with uh, the cast. I've seen that, and it looks so fucking doofy, because obviously they're mostly there to give people like a frame of reference of how high the model's going to be and where their eyeline should be looking, but it just looks so fucking awkward the fucking knuckle statue in particular yeah it's peering into your soul now, yeah to me the creepy one is the tail statue cuz whenever i see that statue i just think of the old uh, cursed tails doll creepy pasta it, <laughs> it does also look quite cursed uh the sonic one's perhaps the best because it's the most obscured but i just feel like knuckles is staring into my soul is gonna ask me if I know how to get to Uganda or some shit like that. <laughs> Knuckles has been ruined for me by the internet, I'll be honest. That's fair. So do you know the way? So what else has been going on in the world? Uh, so uh, the PlayStation Vita store is not closing anymore. It oh, so it's they're just shutting down the PlayStation 3 store then? Uh, so that one, I'm not entirely sure on it. It sounds like the PlayStation 3 store might be around a bit longer than the Vita store, but... Uh, they decided they made a mistake by announcing they were closing it because clearly all the outcry was that there is definitely a fan base out there that wants the store available. Part of me thinks it's probably just because sales spiked. I'm like, wait a second, this is still profitable. Yeah, it was a whole bunch of people hearing that their PlayStation Vita store is going to go down. So they picked up a bunch of games for their PlayStation Vita. And Sony just saw that as a whole bunch of sales for PlayStation Vita. And we're like, oh, people are still buying stuff for this. Might as well keep it open for a while longer while we can still make money. Yeah, so there's no definite closing date for it. They said they're not closing it now, but of course, after a while, that probably changed back to them announcing it. I imagine it's going to go away the moment sales peter back out. Yeah, I just hope that this time they'll give a little bit more notice than, hey, you guys got like three weeks. Yeah, because now we know that the uh, the idea is on the table. Yeah. Uh, in game news, there were a few game announcements that happened that were pretty fun. Uh, so we got announced that there's going to be a worldwide release in july of the great ace attorney games wait really yep so this is uh the prequel series to the phoenix wright ace attorney game series that never had a western release uh and we're getting a full western release uh of the uh first two games i believe it's actually super fucking sick i've uh gone back and played a couple of the ace attorney games and they're super enjoyable and i actually really like the idea of getting some ones that never had an international release, getting yeah. them for the first time. Yeah, Nintendo seems to be doing this quite a bit because we just recently had the release of the Famicom Detective uh, games, the first two ones. So it looks like they actually might be looking at going through some of the backlog of games that never had a release 
and seeing what they can do with those. Fair enough. The meme of Mother 3 might be not far off. Oh, I'm still holding ho- holding out hope for that one. Uh, another game, and this is kind of one that went under my radar, sadly, but I recently found out about, and that's Dark Alliance, which is uh, kind of like a, a brawler game, which is the spiritual successor to uh, Boulder's Gate Dark Alliance. Yeah, it's looking like it's uh, fucking co-op, like dungeon crawler almost, D&D-themed game, and it looks pretty cool. I'm curious about it because anytime you have a Dungeons and Dragons adaptation into a game, there's obviously going to be limitations over what it's like playing the actual game. I mean, I'm pretty sure in our multiple podcasts where we talk about D&D, we talk about why it can never fully be ported over to a video game experience. But uh, there's room for it to still create a very fascinating and enjoyable game in uh, that vein. Oh, yeah, and I'm very excited because I don't know about you guys, but uh, Boulder's Gate Dark Alliance 2 was like my introduction to Dungeons and Dragons. So seeing that world expanded, it's always going to draw me in. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to the character creation. That's probably going to be pretty fucking sick. Yeah. And even just the gameplay looks satisfying, to say the least. Yeah, you get to see a lot of different angles of archers fucking dodging. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's fair. That's what you do as an archer. You dodge out of the way of incoming danger. Uh, So another interesting game we actually had announced by Nintendo is Game Builder Garage. Yeah, that one... That one is probably the most intriguing one to me because it reads to me like they got very positive feedback from Mario Maker and all the people making Mario levels for themselves. And they decided to take it a step further where now you're not just making Mario levels. Because a lot of people were using Mario Maker to make completely separate games using fucking Mario mechanics. Yeah, especially with, you could do the uh, the skin DLC with Amiibos. Yeah, exactly. So the idea that now they're just stripping away the Mario mechanics and taking it down to its bare bones and giving people a lot more freedom to create. It yeah, was and the trailer even shows in some of the examples that it had that there's a fair bit of diversity in the games that you can make with it. So I'm kind of wondering how in-depth that diversity goes. The trailer is a bit misleading to me because the whole idea of this game is not going to be playing the games that come on it. It's going to be playing the games that other people make on it. So anything we see in the trailer at this point is just shit that Nintendo employees have made using the thing. Which, I mean, obviously it's going to work well for the stuff they intended it to work well for. I'm much more curious to see what the game looks like two months after it's been out when you start seeing content that's getting made on the game. That's going to be the true show of like how in-depth and how creative you can be with that game. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see if there's a little clause in the game uh, contract when you buy it or download it stating that everything you create is property of Nintendo. Oh yeah, there's absolutely no way anything you make in that game is something you can choose to profit off of. I can't wait for everyone's OCs to start becoming legitimate Nintendo characters, and they can't do anything about it. Oh, no. Oh, no. That That's not going to turn out well. I'm definitely looking forward to people's pixel art being in games online, because you know Nintendo's going to have some fucking filters for that. Because, once again, <laughs> part of the trailer, it shows them making pixel art of someone swinging a baseball bat. There's going to be some very aggressive filters on that pixel art. <laughs> I'm not going to get the game myself, but I am... Very interested in seeing what people can come up with 
Yeah, I'd be less game. curious in using it for making games, although making games is something I, like everyone else who plays video games enough, is curious about. But I'm definitely curious to see what other people make out of it, because it's always fascinating when you give the... Un, oh, fuck that sentence. When you give the entire internet creative tools just to see what the fuck they come up with. It usually is just dicks. That's what it, it is. Always. Dicks are swastikas. It usually is just dicks, but like to bring it back to Mario Maker, which is kind of the predecessor to this game, people made some really fucking impressive shit in that game, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with in this one. And you know there's going to be the community who goes and tries to make the most difficult games possible. Just like that community that makes the most difficult Mario levels possible. Yeah, there's going to be two ends of the spectrum. There's going to be the people who create a game where you press one button and then you win, and there's going to be the people who create a game where, of the billions of people who played it, three have succeeded in finishing it. And you need pixel-perfect button inputs to be able to get through any obstacles in it. Yep. Uh, so this next one's actually a bit of uh, game speculation. Uh, but apparently David Hayter has, uh, quote-unquote, confirmed that we're getting a remake of Middle Gear Solid. Really? Yeah, so he has specified that he himself has not been notified of anything or what's going on with it, but he stated that he has an insider friend that's within the company that gave him a heads up that they are remaking Metal Gear Solid. I'd be very curious about that. It's been a very long time since I played the original Metal Gear Solid, so I'd be curious to see a remake fully updated to modern graphics. Yeah, and is it going to be like an upscale situation where it's the faithful adaption of the game, just a more better looking one? In that case, are they just going to be using old audio files? Are they going to be recording? Or are they going to make it more like the more recent Metal Gear games? In which case, what does Shadow Moses look like as an open world game? Yeah, that's definitely going to be the question. Is it just going to be the same game with retextured and adding 4K capacities? Or is it going to be completely remade from the ground up, but following the same story? Yeah, and obviously there's things they can't cut story-wise, so it's probably going to unfold the same way, but the map itself and how you interact with it is probably going to be where the changes we're seeing are going to come from. Yeah. Unless they just upscale the upscale Twin Snakes, in which case I can't wait for kickflips off of rockets. Yeah. It's going to be one of those things. It's either going to be just an upscaled version of the original game, or it's going to be new mechanics, new map layout, but same basic story and uh plot. The thing that I just, I'm really excited to see how they try to tackle, because I really hope they keep it in, but uh, Psycho Mantis reading your memory. Oh, that was... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably even fucking easier to do nowadays, because instead of it just being a memory card which has your games on it, most of your games are owned via digital copies, and you have your save data on your hard drive specifically, so they're probably going to be able to tell you a lot more specific details about what's going on with your play history. Yeah. Especially it's not... considering there's a lot of indie games that look directly at your computer files and say, hey, you're actually logged into your computer as this user, so this is your name in the game. It's not just going to be, I can see that your most recent game that you played is Crash Bandicoot. Now it's going to be, I see that you died 37 times against this one specific boss in this game that you've been playing. <laughs> I'm just like enjoying the whole concept, because before it used to be Konami Game, so I'd expect it would probably limit it to that. But just like it going like a step further of like going into your computer data, it's like, oh, I see your IP addresses and then the reads it fucking off. 
Oh, <laughs> oh, streamer's I like, nightmare. <laughs> I like the idea of it, like looking into games you play online and being like, "Man, you've got a thirty-seven percent win rate at Call of Duty. You gotta shape up. That's that's fucking bush league numbers." I your see your accuracy com- is a seventeen percent. Get better yeah, but- at your aim. You have a KDR of 1 in 19? What the fuck, man? I see you haven't turned off your computer in 37 days. I see you're still using the most acceleration default settings for Microsoft, chump. Let me demonstrate my power. I will now run your virus scanner. I see you're playing an illegally downloaded copy of uh, Nier Automata. Oh, you know what the worst is going to be is if you're running it on PC. I'm calling it now. Psychomantis is going to fake a blue screen on your fucking computer. Oh, or if you have a pirated version of the game, he's going to be like, dude, he's just going to do something like this is a pirated game or this isn't actually reality. And then just the whole game fades away. Yeah, it'd be something, I definitely it'd be something think... like uh, I might be a bad guy, but I'm not that bad. I still think my favorite idea, yeah, is their only form of DRM doesn't kick in until the Psychomantis fight, and then Psychomantis just verbally calls you out for pirating the game. And then actually deletes your computer. Yeah. <laughs> deletes, deletes your system, system 32. 32. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I really enjoy the forums of like people posting from their mobile devices of like, I can't turn on my computer ever since the Psychomantis fight. What am I missing? It's like, you're missing a physical copy that you paid for. That's what you're missing. Every copy of Metal Gear Solid the, the remake that you buy for your PC comes with System 32. Yeah. Also a functioning operating system. That uh, too. And of course, the big game news, uh, which I've been the most excited for, is Resident Evil Village I, I, came out. I like the use of big. Yeah. The 10 foot tall game news. Yeah. So I only played the demo. Matt, I understand, has very limited experience with it. And Keith, you're almost finished the campaign. Yep. So what are your thoughts? Scale of 1 to 10. Scale of 1 to 8. What would you rank it? You see, that's a problem, because I was going to give it an 8 on that 1 to 10 scale. So if I kind of, like, adjust for the reduction here, that puts it at a 6.5, 7. Okay. I can live with that. Like, I love Resident Evil, and even the shittiest game is going to probably be at least a 5 in my heart. But uh, the, the... this game is nowhere as, as scary as 7 was. 7 by far is like the peak so far with the franchise. This game takes a more action pursuit on things, so it feels more like Resident Evil 4, which is, it's a great game. It's just not a scary game per se. It has moments in there that are like really horrifying, like the fucking regenerators in 4. Yeah. And uh, that's mainly the Bienviento stuff going on in the game. I'm not going to say what it is specifically, but that's where most of like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on. So how does it stack up to the other Resident Evil games? In particular, in recent memory. Let's not compare it to all the old ones. Just because I, mean, I want to save some time and talk about our actual topic today. <laughs> uh, in that case, uh, I think in recent like Resident Evil history, uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake is still probably the best one. But that's yeah. because it's really hard to say anything negative about Resident Evil 2, especially when they did such a beautiful remaster and remake of it. Yeah, the remake was uh, kind of flawless from my point of view. Um, all right, that's fair. It was definitely on my list of ones I wanted to play because, as I said, I played the demo and the demo was actually really fucking enjoyable. So yeah. now that I hear that the full game's also quite good, I'm oh yeah, eight, uh, if you enjoyed play. Resident Evil Four, you'll like the way the game is played. 
and it's in the style of Resident Evil 7 with the first person and all of, like, the mechanics from that game. So, if you like 7 and no. 4, there's no reason you shouldn't like this one. I liked parts of Resident Evil 7. What part specifically? Like... Was it Hiding from Jack Baker? Uh, hiding from Jack Baker was definitely fun. They were just... I have not the highest tolerance for uh, horror, and there were parts that got to me a little bit, but... Uh... No, I definitely enjoyed the game, so... Yeah, that's why I don't play them. Seven is definitely the peak oh. horror of the franchise. We're we're going to force you to play this one, Matt. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I watched a playthrough of Seven. There is no way, <laughs> even if you lock me in a room, we're gonna not play that. We're going to strap you to a chair, put a VR headset on your head, and you're going to play through Seven. No way, no how. We already said that it's not as scary as Seven, so if Seven's too scary for you, perfect. This one's not as scary as too scary for you, so you'll be fine. <laughs> I've started watching a playthrough of 8, and yeah, I'll admit it is nowhere near as scary as 7, but that in part could also be the fact that, as opposed to zombies or other like biological horrors, they've thrown in vampires and werewolves. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now, Matt, I'm... Call my shot. There is going to be body horror later oh, in yeah. that there, game. Oh there, yeah, there is body horror, but bio, like biological things like also werewolves and vampires don't exist in the resident evil lore just let you know those things are also just bars oh yeah i i completely understand that there's going to be some sort of other explanation for them other than just vampire or werewolf but that's what they're coming across as at the beginning of the game anyway so long of the short uh in october look forward to us forcing matt to play through resident evil 8 and uh, for the last bit of uh, news of what we've had happen over the last couple of weeks, uh, Venom 2 got a trailer. It looks honestly really fucking good. Like, we already knew Woody Harrelson was going to be playing Carnage. I can't remember the name of the human host for Carnage. Um, but we knew he was going to be playing Carnage. That's Cletus Cassidy, I believe. Thank you. Uh, actually, like, seeing him in the trailer, I can tell he's going to do a phenomenal job because... You know he has the fucking chops to do it. And just, like, seeing him, like, ham it up on that fucking role. Oh, he's gonna be the kind of character you hate, but you fucking love. Oh, definitely. He's always, like, Woody Harrelson's always just been that good at playing a character that you hate, but enjoy. Or just, like, you know, a fun character regardless. Like, a perfect example of this. I recently rewatched the uh, recent Planet of the Apes trilogy. And War for the Planet of the Apes with Woody Harrelson as the primary antagonist. He fucking killed it. And so I got 100% confidence that he's going to fucking kill it again as Carnage. Or Cletus, Cletus Cassidy. Uh, and it looks like... I don't know if it was just because they planned to start mixing Spider-Man into this world specifically. But it looks like they're starting to angle the franchise more towards the fun, whimsical side with things. Instead of the kind of like yeah. grittiness of the first one. It's hard to tell because it's just a trailer and trailers can sometimes be quite misleading, but the first one was Suicide Squad. a fairly dark movie, but this one, there's a lot of jokes in the trailer that makes it look like it's just going to be kind of fun. So we'll have to see when the movie comes out, but the trailer definitely indicates that it's going to be a lot more campy and fun than the uh, first Venom movie was. Exactly. Like Venom liking ketchup. <laughs> Venom liking ketchup. Venom threatening to eat Mrs. Chen because she didn't have chocolate for him. Yeah, it'll be delightful. 
It'll be a treat, one might say. So with that, I think it's time to get into the topic. So what I is the topic? So as you may have already noticed, and of course we were going to cover it, we're talking about Falcon and the Winter Mephisto. I thought it was Mephisto and the Winter Falcon. I fucked up the joke I was trying to make. Oh god, I was trying to say Mephisto and the Winter Soldier, but no, I called him the Winter Falcon. God damn it, Peter, you're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Winter Falcon. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, we've all watched it. Yes. So, uh, I guess starting yeah. off, uh, I think a good question to start with on this one is, compared to WandaVision, how do you feel about this series? I had a, I had a very positive experience with WandaVision. I had a more positive experience with this one. I didn't dislike WandaVision by any stretch of the word, but I highly enjoyed this one. Yeah, same here. I enjoyed them both, but this one certainly felt a lot more like an actual Marvel movie as opposed to well, Marvel-branded but... characters, but uh, she's doing her own thing and might be a little crazy. Yeah, like WandaVision was definitely uh, a change from what the franchise has been up to this point. It was definitely breaking new ground. Yeah, but was, I expect to see more things. Good. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I do expect to see more things like that moving forward. But Falcon Winter Soldier, yeah, definitely it's more a, a grounded thing you'd experience. Especially within, like, if you want to take each franchise within the MCU as its own thing, it fits more in line with what you expect from a Captain America story. Yeah, yeah, and I love the interactions between Sam and Bucky. I love how their relationship develops over the course of the series. I think the really key thing about this one, and probably the reason I enjoyed it a little bit more than WandaVision, is it kind of seems, for now at least, that each of the uh, Marvel Disney Plus series that they're making are going to fit like a different vibe for like TV series, like. WandaVision very much so lent into a lot of uh, sitcom-y tropes over the ages. Like, yeah, that was kind of the idea behind the series, but it had a lot of sitcom-y things. This one definitely had a lot more of the buddy cop type vibe, and it's looking like Loki's probably going to be a bit procedural or Monster of the Week-ish with an overarching plot over top of it. So I just feel like the buddy cop vibe worked a lot better for a Marvel series than a sitcom did. Oh, definitely. and. With what the story is, that fits a little bit better because, uh, obviously, as most people have seen Endgame at this point, it ends with uh, Old Cap giving uh, Sam the shield and saying, well, you're Captain America now. And Sam seems a little uh, untrusting of this. He's like, oh, it feels like it belongs to someone else. And I, I feel like a lot of people probably thought, like, oh, okay, now Sam has the shield, he's Captain America. What happens with that? A lot of people probably just expect him to show up in the next Marvel movie as Captain America and leave it at that. But what this storyline goes with is Sam still doesn't believe in himself being Captain America because how can I be Steve Rogers and gives up the shield? And that's kind of what sets this whole thing on the go. That was one of the things I actually really enjoyed about this series is they they could have very easily ended up doing or having like a middle child syndrome with the movies where a lot of the earlier movies in Marvel or in the Marvel MCU, felt like they were trying to get from the first movie to the big Avengers movie, and so it was less a plot of telling a story and more so explaining why the character is the way they are in the big movie that they're writing for. And so the existence of these Disney Plus series allows them to shift a lot of that heavy lifting off of movies, so we don't have a whole movie that's just fucking Falcon learning to become Captain America, and they can instead just make it a TV series and have all that character growth happen so that 
when we get into the next Captain America movie, it just is the Falcon as Captain America. We don't have to have that adjustment period at the beginning. Yeah, and I I believe I actually mentioned this on the podcast before where uh, the reason I think the MCU does so well is because they're focusing on events with their movies and doing an event for a comic book storyline works really well in a movie setting. But the reason the DC TV show was doing so well is because comic book in its normal format of that in-between downtime is better suited to like a sitcom or a television series. So now with Marvel kind of going into both, I feel like we're looking at like a second wave of just domination on both TV front and movie front for Marvel now. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, this is really what Marvel needed to kind of bring it to the next level, because it's always been a bit hit or miss with certain Marvel movies just because of the fact that they do have to carry the plot where now they can put that work into TV series. So I think not only does it make for good TV, it's also going to help reinforce the quality of their movies as a whole. Yeah, because Endgame ended off. We had Sam getting the shield and we get the drop that Sam doesn't feel like he's up to the responsibility of being the new Captain America. And then the next movie we get with him in it, it's obviously going to have him as Captain Falcon America. Or as the new Captain America, I guess. Yeah, and that's but, another, another good thing to actually... Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, but uh, while he's started the role, he's still unsure if he's worthy for the role, but he's accepted that it's his duty now. Yeah, that's so, the thing they really set up well with this, of Sam becoming yeah. his own Captain America, not the new Captain America. Yeah, so it was set up well where you don't need to watch The Falcon and the Winter Soldier to get the jump because he goes from, like, not thinking he's worthy and not accepting the role to accepting the role but still not quite thinking he's up to it. I think the key difference here is if people don't watch the series, they might expect, especially if they're not familiar with the comics, they might expect Falcon becoming the new Captain America to play out a lot more like the John Walker storyline in the series does, where he's literally just the exact same character as Captain America, except not Chris Evans and not Steve Rogers. Yeah, and making mistakes. Whereas in this one, we get to see that Captain America is less so about how he looks and more so about how he behaves. So Captain America in fucking Sam's perspective is a completely different character from the Captain America who was Steve Rogers, but it still very much embodies the ideals of what Captain America stood for. Right. So right. should we talk about the series in a bit more specifics? Oh yeah, we could definitely dive into that a bit more. Uh, so the first episode opens up with uh, Sam giving, well, actually the opening is a little bit of an action scene cold open where, uh, Batrock the Leaper returns, and he's trying to hijack a plane and take a hostage and get him over the border before anyone can stop him. Yeah, it's the same character who played at the beginning of Winter Soldier, the French terrorist who stole a ship. Batrock uh, the Leaper. We... Yeah, exactly. Uh, and now he's back, and instead of being a kind of villain for Captain America to deal with, he's now a villain for Falcon to deal with. And it's actually... A really nice touch to see that not only is the mantle being handed over, but the same problems that he was dealing with are now being handed over as well. Yeah, so the opening set piece is really just kind of the show us, or remind us, I guess is a better way to put it, what Falcon can do specifically. So we see him using pretty much his full arsenal and skill set. Uh, the big noticeable difference, I would say, from our last time seeing Falcon 
is Falcon used guns, <laughs> and now he seems to have decided not to use guns. Yeah, he's no longer just firing off two automatic pistols at everyone in his way, and is more so using punches and kicks and shields. Yeah, Except and... not like Captain America shield, his wing shields. Yeah, and I don't remember if uh, he used it before, but he now has the little Red Wing drone with him. Yeah, so that was... Saw him in... use it a little bit, but yeah. it wasn't a kind of separate character, whereas this one it's given a lot more agency and is treated as its own separate thing. Well, in uh, Age of Ultron, uh, at the beginning scene for that one, he calls it Red Wing, and uh, I can't remember who it was. Someone stated, I think it was uh, Black Widow, that she didn't care for it, and he was very adamant about she apologized to Red Wing because it would hurt his feelings. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he uh, uses sadly that he does more this now, too. And sadly, he does die in the opening scene. Yeah. Who, Sam? <laughs> no, Red, Red Wing. Wing. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think Sam actually dies, but yes, Red Wing breaks down. The one, one of three times in this movie or series. Yeah. Uh, so once we see what's going on with Sam's life, we get a kind of similar action sequence of what's going on with Bucky's life. And that we see him having a nightmare of not even really like a proper nightmare. It's more so him having a flashback to the shit he had to do as the Winter Soldier, because even though the programming has been taken out of his head and he is a free man, he still has all the memories of being the Winter Soldier. And so he still has to deal with the guilt of what he did as the Winter Soldier. Yeah, and... so it, it opens up kind of more like a flashback introducing, and then it's revealed that he wakes up and this is a nightmare he's having because he's agonizing over the things he's done. And then it cuts to therapy. Which has probably one of the better supporting characters. Not the best supporting characters, but one of the better supporting characters in the early part of this series. Which is the therapist who just constantly gives fucking Bucky shit for not actually doing what he's supposed to be doing to deal with his past. She's not the kind of like friendly therapist that you sometimes think of. She's a very aggressive therapist. And I gotta say, I do love the whole like talking about like his recovery and like his rules and that stuff. And there's the part in the car park where like he's like, uh, I am uh, Bucky Barnes and you're part of my rehabilitation. Uh, so uh, you're under arrest, I guess. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, because he's dealing with a senator who got into power by supporting Hydra, and so he ended up killing some of her political opponents to get her into power, and so his idea of making amends is sending her to jail for working with Hydra. Yeah, he has a book, and he's checking names off of it. He did note that most of his making amends so far has been him fucking with people he helped rather than making amends to the people he hurt. Well, he does have them on the list, too, but... Yeah, he they're on the list. He just hasn't actually been following through with helping them. Yeah, because uh, he actually has sushi with this older guy named uh, Yori, who his son is missing. Uh, well, not missing, but was killed, but the, he doesn't know why. And then through the flashback, we saw that, oh, it was actually Bucky that killed him, because he saw something. Yeah, but yep. he can't really come to terms with that, and he doesn't feel... I guess, ready to reveal that he's the one who did it. And so he just kind of runs away from that situation. Yeah, and I guess the surprising thing about this first episode is that even though the series was kind of sold as like, oh, it's Falcon and the Winter Soldier buddy cop series, they actually don't meet in this first episode. Yeah, no. They have very different paths, it seems. Well, it's, and... that's also... Awesome. They, 
they meet up very quickly in the second episode. And it's just the first episode, there's no interaction between the two of them. Oh, yeah, it's definitely implying the tension there, too, because the therapist even calls out, it's like, oh, why are you not answering Sam's calls? Yeah, have you hung out with Sam, the one person who has the most joined experience with you in life? Because you... yeah. the two of them were both uh, little captain's best friends. Yep. Speaking of running away from things in Sam, Sam's running away from the responsibility that was given to him by Cap, in that he, uh, instead of taking up the mantle of Captain America himself, he decides to give the shield to the Smithsonian, who has the whole Captain America wing of their museum, uh, because he doesn't think anyone should carry the mantle. He thinks that's one of those things that should be left to history. Yeah, he thinks that the symbol is useless to the person that's important. Yeah, and he's just not sure that he can be the person. Of course, the senator he gives it to is the most untrusting-looking guy, and uh, this is where we actually get our Rhodey uh, cameo. And pretty much, Rhodey's just here to say, "The hell are you doing? Why don't you do just, just do it, right?" Yeah, why don't you just take it yourself? Come on. Uh, we do have some other uh, important character introductions though throughout this episode. Uh, the first one we get, which is not an important one quite yet, uh, but Walking Taurus, uh, who is kind of like the guy that works with Sam, his almost sidekick in the military contract stuff they do. Uh, he's Essentially, kind of... he's the man in the chair, to quote uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, uh, although uh, in the comics, uh, you might recognize the name because he is actually the person who takes up the mantle of Falcon after Falcon becomes the Captain America. Okay. I, oh yeah, I, that, I guess that comes into play later in this series. Yeah, when, when uh, happens. Falcon has his wingsuit destroyed when he ends up fighting against uh, John Walker specifically. He yeah. kind of has that, that moment where he's got the shield and the broken wings and he kind of has to make a choice. And he could have said, well, I'm going to keep both of these, but he kind of chooses the shield. And he's like, yeah, these are yours. Do with them what you want. And then we kind of see him at the end of the series working on them as the news announcement's going out about what happened. Yeah. Because, surprise, surprise, uh, Sam gets his own version of the uh, flight suit. Yep. Except it's painted Captain America colors. Yep. And made by Wakanda. So you know it's got some extra things they're going to show off later on. Uh, hopefully at the... I had a bit of fun laughing about it because I assumed perhaps incorrectly, but it makes sense to me that if it's from Wakanda, it's probably got vibranium all throughout it, so it's yeah. bulletproof. But they make a point of not giving him any sort of head protection, so it's bulletproof anywhere except for the head, where if he gets shot, it's guaranteed death. Yeah, and I just like the fact that it potentially also has a hidden kill switch that only the Wakandans can activate, just like Bucky's arm. Oh yeah, we have yes. to 100% uh, assume that every time we see Wakandan tech from this point forward, there's a kill switch on it. Yeah, there's the means for Wakanda to turn off that uh, technology. Because they made it, but they don't want it used against them. Of course not. They learned from uh, the problems in the Black Panther movie. Yeah, they learned from Killmonger when he used Wakanda tech against Wakanda. I mean, some of Wakanda was willing to support him, but others didn't. True. I, I don't think... I think the kill switch was probably in there from that point as well. It's just, like, we can use it on you and you can use it on us, so it's kind of a stalemate. Yeah. Yeah. But for... For Bucky, it was also probably because he was the Winter Soldier and just in the off chance that he falls back into enemy hands. 
so there's really two more big scenes in this first episode. Uh, the first one is the introduction of the Flag Smashers. Uh, yep. So this is a little confrontation we get with Torres and the Flag Smashers where he gets the shit beat out of him. Yeah, yeah. we... Uh, it's not explicitly as, written out, but we're given... He goes given... undercover as part of their little organization to try to figure out more information about them. Yeah. Uh, and we find out that there's definitely super-powered individuals in the group. It's not explicitly laid out that they're super-soldiers, but we see them displaying what can logically be assumed to be super strength because he is thrown across the street into a fucking telephone pole. Yeah. Uh, and then that's kind of our indication that, oh, the Flag Smashers are probably going to be the villains of this one. Now, if you're a fan of the comics, you might know that Flag Smasher is actually a single character uh, and he pretty much is the same thing as the Flag Smasher ideal where world borders are the result of conflict. So the only way to have true peace is to get rid of all borders. Yep. And this one, they kind of break it up into it's an organization uh, with uh, the main character or the leader of the Flag Smashers kind of being the, I guess, stand-in for that character. Yeah. Which is fun, because I believe the uh, character's name in the Marvel Comics was just Carl Morgenthau. Yeah. And now they make the MCU character who's kind of the leader as Carly Morgenthau. Which is, I suppose, a play on the original name, except it's different. Pretty much. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, and then the, the last big scene is actually the ending, where we see the news feed uh, introducing the new Captain America, which is John Walker. And uh, you've probably seen the memes from this one as they imposed his face onto up lots of times. Yeah, he look, a lot of people tried to suggest that he looks like the grandfather from up. Um, People, there was a lot of controversy about this character, which made no fucking sense to me. People hated John Walker, and in particular, Wyatt Russell for playing him. Which, like, the whole point is they got annoyed at him for trying to fill the shoes of fucking Chris Evans as Steve Rogers. And the whole point is the character is not supposed to be able to fit Steve Rogers' big shoes. Yeah. So to give the actor playing him shit for not being able to do the thing that he's not supposed to be able to do is kind of fucking ridiculous. Oh, yeah, and that's kind of the weird, like, it's a weird thing with more of, like, media like this in the modern internet age where people get really upset at characters and then get angry at the actor playing the character instead of praising them for doing such a good job that you are angry. Uh, I think... One of the earlier big examples of this would be the guy who played Joffrey in Game of Thrones. Yeah, the guy who quit acting because he got so many death threats over his betrayal of a character when the character's whole perspective was supposed to be that they're hated. Yeah, he, he did an excellent job playing the character and everyone just hated him so much that he, the real-life guy was getting death threats. Uh, another yep. example more recent of this one would be uh, the character of Rose in Star Wars. Where people were getting yep. really angry at her for ruining Star Wars, when it's like she's playing a character, she didn't even write the character. Yeah, she's not at all responsible for what the character's doing. She's just playing a role that she was cast to play. Man, people are fucking dumb. Wyatt Russell also uh, got rid of his social media accounts there for a bit. Uh, from what I was reading, it was actually a fan-made account that. Someone was making a fan-made Wyatt Russell account, and the fan got a bunch of death threats, so they canceled the account. Oh, okay. From what I was reading online, Wyatt Russell, like, he wasn't a fan of getting the death threats and all that shit, but essentially came out and said, like, 
honestly, to be this hated in the MCU is kind of a huge kudos because the MCU has had some pretty heinous villains. So for me to play a villain that people hate this much kind of says I'm doing a great job. So the death threats he wasn't a fan of, but he recognized it was mostly people trying to tell him he's doing a fantastic job at being (laughs) hated, which is what he was trying to do. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Fuck you. Oh, thank you. The wording's unnecessary, but I appreciate what you're trying to say. They're still uh, confused about what they're trying to get across. Yeah. So yeah, then we get episode two, which is all about Sam and Bucky just really not being okay with uh, Sam Walker. John Walker. John, John Walker. Walker. And yeah. also, the first tip that you get that John Walker doesn't fit the shoes is when he first walks out of the building into the view of the public, you can see he has a gun on his holster. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, Captain America Steve Rogers also used a gun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, especially when he was in actual World War II. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's a lot more things they give you as hints to, like... well, uh, Yeah, there's a lot of really subtle hints. Like, if, if you people... are a person who read the comics, you know right from the beginning how this is going to turn out. But uh, I think the first hint we actually get is when he's in the backstage area uh, unfurling the suit with his wife there, and then his friend Lamar shows up. It mentions uh, now we can't just punch our way out of everything. And it's like, hmm, I see how this guy yeah. likes to be. Like, it makes a very clear statement that if uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character from the first movie, uh, Captain America, had the, his choice of who would be Captain America, this is definitely the guy he would have picked. But oh, luckily, he didn't get, luckily, he didn't get his way, and that's why they had such a perfect Steve Rogers. Which even Zemo has to admit later on in the series, like, yeah, super soldiers are bad, and it's like Steve wasn't bad. It's like, yeah, but he's an exception. Yeah. Yeah. Steve is the exception. He also later on also makes Bucky an exception, uh, kind of begrudgingly. Um, I think because uh, just to go on the Zemo thing for a moment here, Zemo's whole statement is people seeking the serum to gain power is the bad thing. And Bucky was kind of forced into it, and Steve was chosen for it, but felt like he had to take the risk, not for himself, but for the world. Yeah, neither one of them sought the super serum to become powerful both of them kind of had that situation kind of forced onto them. Forced is a bit of a stretch for Steve, but it's the same idea of he wasn't trying to become a super soldier. He was just trying to help out with the war. Yeah. Whereas we get the very opposite of that, which is John Walker's character who throughout the series gets the shit kicked out of him by super soldiers and then also just normal people and gets really fucking fed up and decides that he needs the super soldier serum to be able to continue doing what he wants to do. Yeah. Now, uh, one thing I do have to point out in this one, which I find a little weird, this is just me kind of nitpicking, uh, but he's doing a Good Morning America uh, episode, like live, and it's clearly the middle of the night. Yeah, Yeah, it's... Well, to be fair, maybe it's a Good Morning America for Japan. It's like daytime <laughs> there. Uh, they also might have just recorded it live, but not actually like aired it live, which would be a weird thing to do. I don't know. You're right. It's weird that they do that in the middle of the night. Like yeah, it's uh, clearly like after nine p.m. Like it's they do it because the scene's a lot cooler in the nighttime than it is during the day. I fully admit that. But it's again, it's just nitpicking. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it, I like it's probably specifically for like the added details of them being able to use spotlights to shine on fucking John Walker to show how 
he's literally in the spotlight now and the whole world's watching as like kind of a mo metaphor for what's going on but like it's weird that it's a good morning america segment that's happening in the middle of the night yeah because i really had just had to stop and think for a moment when it was clearly nighttime and john walker says good morning america and i'm like wait it's clearly nighttime why are you saying good morning uh, so what ends up happening here then, uh, so we get the interview with John Walker. He seems like, you know, a good old American guy. He's friendly and charming and all that stuff. And then as the story starts going on, we have Bucky and Sam are in a weird way forced to team up. But it's more so Bucky wants to tell Sam something and discuss it. But Sam has something he has to do, so Bucky's like, fine, I'll tag along. Which I'm pretty yeah, sure it... also violates his, like, rules. Yeah, because he's technically on parole at that time, so he can't exactly go to fucking Munich to deal with terrorist situations. They but he does anyways. Really, they didn't really say he couldn't, just that he has to be back for regular check-ins with his therapist. That's fair. Uh, yeah, but I still feel like he's technically on parole, and most parole guidelines are you can't leave the state, let alone the continent. Yeah. Now, I will say, uh, I think uh, this scene has probably one of... Uh, the most favorited fan moments in it, which is uh, Sam referring and starting with the whole concept of the big three. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, wizards, robots, and aliens. Doctor Strange is not a wizard. He's a sorcerer. Sorcerer's just a wizard without the hat, Matt. <laughs> I believe we've had this conversation on a previous episode already, but again, uh, specifically... Uh, Bucky is correct that he is a sorcerer, because if you look at the rules of what a sorcerer is, that's what Doctor Strange is. Yeah, we, we definitely have this discussion. We don't need to keep going down this path. I think the general idea is, fuck the word wizards, let's just call it magic, robots, or aliens, because so far that has been the cause of the problem every single time. Uh, and this time is different. It's not. It's super soldiers. Yeah, but they get a solution to a lot of those earlier problems. But yeah, they get one of those uh, story beats where it's like, oh, we got information that Flag Smashers are going to be stealing stuff here. They go off. Uh, Sam just jumps out of the plane, and then Bucky's like, well, fuck, I got to go too. So he decides to jump out of the plane without the parachute. But he and just uses his metal arm to grab a tree and like ride it down. Yeah, because well, they were too low for him to uh, use a parachute by their typical safety standard. Oh, uh, you're right. Because of the fact that fucking Sam was using the wingsuit he jumps lower than a parachute would be viable so he can't use a parachute uh, also I believe this is the first instant of a heroic character not landing the superhero landing yeah he fucking f falls flat on his fucking ass and of course Sam comes right back up as soon as he lands like I got that all on camera old Just red so wing know. with his camera now the interesting thing about this is so the leg smashers are stealing supplies and uh, it's not really kind of revealed what the supplies are. It's just it's like, oh, just general medical supplies. It was end up revealed later that there was actually a side story that was cut from production, which is actually the story of a virus that was infecting and killing people. And this was supposed to be the vaccinations for that. Yeah, there's... Uh, I don't know about that one specific, but there's large kind of plot lines where the whole motivation for the Flag Smashers beyond just tearing down borders and having one world is the whole idea of like the Global Repatriation Council, which is 
the group that's trying to decide how to fix the world after the blip is being a bit unfair with how they're delegating resources and have stockpiled a bunch of resources that could be going towards helping refugees who are being forced back to their original country, when at the same time, they're just kind of holding on to them for other people. So people are dying in refugee camps while the people in charge of the world are doing nothing. And uh, is specific to this media and not anything else in the world. Yeah, and there was the plot line that was cut that was confirmed that it was involving a, a virus, and that's kind of what her mentor character ends up dying from in it. Uh, again, they kind of yeah. just cut out all reference to the virus and the vaccinations, but uh, for good reason, obviously. But that's why some things seem a little weird or clearly out of place for the rest of it uh, with certain scenes. With also during this episode, we get introduced to the Isaiah Bradley character. Yeah, so after was... they kind of botch the catching Carly and find out, oh, she's super soldiers, and they get beat up, they have that moment with Walker first, where Walker tries to recruit them, but like, right, yes. Bucky's not giving them any shit. It's like, yeah, no, just let me out here. And Sam seems like a little bit willing. He doesn't like uh, fucking Wyatt. Oh, not Wyatt. God damn it. Walker. <laughs> He doesn't like Walker, but he's like willing to work with him a little bit. Because they're against super soldiers. And then Walker makes a comment about how Bucky should be... God damn it, not Bucky. Walker makes a comment about how Sam should be his wingman or his sidekick, and fucking he just doesn't have any of that and leaves at that point. Come on, Lamar is is right there. Come on. Yeah. And he also doesn't appreciate a good pun. I think so I'm missing something. Wingman, he's the Falcon. He's got wings. So they both refuse to work with John Walker, and then Barnes brings up the fact that he might know someone who knows a thing or two about the Super Soldier Serum. So he brings Sam back to fucking Baltimore to uh, check up on Isaiah Bradley, who's a character from the Korean War who he knows a thing or two about, who fought against him as the Winter Soldier. Yep, and uh, this is from uh, a specific comic line. uh, What was it called? Red, White, and Black, I believe? Uh, That sounds correct. Yeah, because he was, in the comic books, he was like the black Captain America at the time. Yep, and he was Um, hidden and imprisoned, uh, racial stuff and all that. And yeah, I've heard a lot of people complain line. about this stuff being put into the Captain America, like the old Falcon and Winter Soldier storyline. And it's like, it, it shouldn't be in this type of entertainment, this type of like stuff like that. But clearly they've never read anything Captain America. Captain America's storylines are always just political stuff. Yeah. This, this is like, this issue this is wasn't him punching new, Hitler. This was not a new series mount to dealt with fucking, like, the political climate of the world today. This is them pulling shit straight from comic books that was dealing with the political climate of many years ago that's just still kind of super fucking relevant today. Oh, definitely. And that's just the thing of it, like, Captain America is relevant because he's always about, like, the political thing of the time, and that's kind of what his story is about. So, yeah. We Isaiah Bradley is a little bit different than the one of the comic books because in the comic book he like fully takes on the mantle of Black Captain America, whereas in the MCU Disney Plus version, he was a super soldier who had the same serum as Captain America, but never wanted the mantle of Captain America because 
he had a fairly downtrodden life and didn't think people would ever accept a black man as Captain America. Yeah, and he even does the same thing that Steve did in the first movie, but gets arrested for it. To specifically go into detail about that and not just say yes. he Steve kind of breaks out when he's told to stay on base because they're still studying him and ends up going behind enemy lines to rescue all of his friends. Isaiah Bradley does the exact same thing, except Steve ends up becoming a more official Captain America at the time, and Isaiah Bradley just gets thrown into prison so they can test his blood to try and recreate the super soldier serum. Because he was one of the only ones that the serum actually worked on. And they wanted to find out why. Still a super fucked up thing to do, but yes, that is their justification for doing it. Exactly. We also get Isaiah Bradley making a throwaway line about how you people kept coming after me to study my blood, said to Bucky, which Sam tries to defend him. He's like, oh, don't worry about that. It's just a race thing. And Bucky's like, it's not a race thing. It's a Hydra thing. He means Hydra was trying to take his blood, uh, which is what gives them their next lead of who to check out. Yeah, uh, mentions Zemo, and then we get the cut to like the shots of Zemo listening to orchestral music while uh, reading uh, you know, classic literature. Yeah. Unfortunately, before we get to break uh, Zemo out of jail, we first have to deal with Bucky going to jail because he missed one of his psychiatrist uh, meetings. Yeah, and this is where we start getting like the smug asshole John Walker in full force because uh, eventually Bucky does get out of jail and gets approved to not have to go to his therapy anymore. <laughs> and then when she's like, oh, who authorized that? He, he doesn't say like, oh, I got the approval. He just kind of points to himself and smirks like, of course it was me. I'm a captain, which is like kind of a smug reference to Captain America because Steve Rogers tried to like pull the whole I'm a technically a captain line before. Uh, and Tommy Lee Jones was just not having it, whereas fucking when John Walker does it, no one fucking calls him out on that BS because I think he actually did have the military rank of captain. Which is good for him, I guess. <laughs> uh, but then we get the very fun scene of the joint couples therapy between Sam and Bucky that the therapist forces them both to participate in before she gives them the go-ahead to jet-set around the world and solve all the problems. And their impromptu staring contest. Ah, so good. Uh, We also get the kind of reason why Bucky is very upset with Sam this entire time, because he feels that Sam turning away the shield means that Steve wasn't right about Sam and that he wasn't ready to be Captain America. And if Steve wasn't right about Sam, then maybe he wasn't right about Bucky and Bucky doesn't deserve to be saved. Which is some pretty heavy emotional shit to put on another person, but kind of explains where Bucky's coming from this entire time. I I mean, both of them have like really heavy baggage when it comes to the shield and the shield. And it's kind of like what it means to each of them. Yeah. And dealing with what it means to them as well as what it means to those around them and how they fit into that. Yeah, they both got some baggage and we get to see a glimpse at some of their baggage at this point. Uh, so the third episode is where we get probably one of my favorite scenes, uh, which is Bucky going to talk to Zemo. And Yeah, we don't even like get a huge amount of Bucky talking to Zemo. We just get Bucky explaining to Sam that they should probably break Zemo out of jail and him explaining how they would do it in like flashbacks to it happening at the in same a, time in a hypothetical scenario in a hypothetical scenario here's how we would do it and sam's like man that's crazy and then it pans over and you see zemo walking through and he's like 
Yeah, we just went through with the plan that we were just discussing. It, like, it's already almost happened. as if you'd already... It almost sounds like you've already planned this out. Zemo walks in. It's like, well, we kind of did. Uh, and I think one of my favorite things about this is Zemo is a very interesting thing within the MCU currently because in this world of, like, you know, gods, men, of like, with superpowers and all this stuff, Zemo really is just a guy that's really smart. Yeah, he is a very wealthy person. Uh, because he was a baron of uh, the country that got destroyed. Sokovia, Sokovia thank you. Um, and he has long held the belief that super soldiers shouldn't exist because super soldiers are inherently uh, supremacists by their very nature of their existence. Their belief that they need superpowers implies that they believe that they're more important or more powerful than anyone else in the world. Um, which is a reasonable, I guess, stance to take. Well, they, it also uh, lets them kind of better establish his motivations in Civil War, because in Civil War, it kind of came off as he just wanted revenge against the Avengers because his family died in the Sokovia incident. But it kind of gets to that further degree. It's like, oh, he just hates powered individuals, super soldiers, and super powered people because they themselves are, like, not to be trusted in a threat to humanity. So he's yeah. kind of like Batman versus Superman Batman. Yeah, and that's yeah. that explains why he uh, killed Tony Stark's parents because uh, Howard Stark was one of the ones behind the whole Captain America thing. Oh no, he Zemo didn't kill, didn't kill Tony Stark's parents. Oh right, no, the the Winter Soldier did. Yeah. But Zemo. Yeah. Was... No, it was Hydra who was behind it. Zemo right, had right, no yeah. affiliation with Hydra. Right. Yeah, he just ended up investigating them after the fact. Yeah. Uh, Zemo didn't have control of him until Civil War when he made him kill. Right. Uh, Wait, no, he didn't even kill uh, T'Chaka and them. He just framed them for it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the whole concept was he wanted to break apart the Avengers, and the only person who actually successfully broke up the Avengers was just this guy. Once again, kind of raising the idea that normal people can also be very powerful figures in the MCU so long as they use their political influence properly. Or not even political influence. Just like as long as they work smart, uh, normal individuals who don't have superpowers can easily become the most powerful individuals in the MCU. Well, he's also like a charmingly entertaining character, which is one of the oh, best yeah. parts. Of, like, Zemo's probably one of the best parts of this whole series. We also get a bit of a hint of the fact that Zemo has clearly been hunting... Like, he did not start hunting superpowered individuals with Civil War. He clearly started much before that because we see he has essentially a go bag ready of super soldier hunting equipment uh <laughs> in one of his fucking cars when they're getting ready to head out and start tracking down the power broker uh which was definitely the fun part about this series because as we talked about with WandaVision a large part of that series was a lot of theory crafting over who Mephisto was because clearly Mephisto is a character in this series. Well, um, I think with WandaVision, it was more of an inherent, like, what's going on, whereas this one, the only mystery about the whole series was who was the power broker. So there's a lot of theory crafting about the power broker, uh, which was pretty great. Uh, I'll admit I was partially disappointed because it was the obvious one, and it kind of contradicts a few things. But at the same time, uh, just the nature of the reveal... It adds some interesting theories going forward because what ended up happening was we find that at the end it was actually Agent 13 the whole time that it was the power broker. The thing I 
so I can understand your disappointment with this reveal. The thing I appreciate about it is it actually, instead of it being some other character who presumably gets dealt with by the end of the series, the series just ends up putting her in a position of even greater power for future movies, setting her up to become a bigger problem down the line. Oh, yeah. So and To be fair, I never expected, because in my mind with the series, it's always going to be Flag Smashers and uh, U.S. Agent were going to be like the big things that would have to be dealt with in some capacity. I was always assuming the power broker would be, oh, this is the power broker, and then they'd be set up moving forward. Now, I'm not, I th- I don't like, I'm not going to complain. It's like, oh, she's not the power broker or a bad guy in the comics, so that doesn't work. I'm fine with them kind of adjusting things like that. But for me, like mind wise, timeline wise, it doesn't seem to match up properly. Now that just might be, uh, I misunderstood when she became the power broker. But her being the power broker itself, I'm fine with. It just kind of, it seems odd with the timeline it could easily be one of the situations where someone else originally established themselves as the para broker and then she came in started working for them and kind of took over their entire operation so it's entirely possible that the reason the timeline doesn't seem to work out is because she was not always the power broker but took over the mantle from someone else maybe Um, the power broker got blipped perhaps that wasn't me just kind of dissuading. I just hadn't thought of that before, so don't have a response prepared. Um, well, the, the interesting thing that I've noticed recently that's come out of the reveal of her being the power broker is people are now suspecting that Carter might actually be a scroll setting up uh, parts of Secret Invasion. That definitely works. I definitely like the way they're handling her as the power broker of, instead of her like actually giving out superpowers... She's just has access to all the tech in the world, especially now that she's working for the CIA again. Yeah. So instead of giving away actual superpowers, she's giving away the technology to make superheroes, which and is how information. which is how the MCU has been running its superheroes for the most part. Like with the exception of fucking Thor the God and Doctor Strange the Sorcerer, most everyone who has superpowers has their superpowers through technology so her having access to all the technology allows her to essentially make whatever superheroes she wants to make down the line yeah, potentially and that might be something that's going to play into uh, armor wars as well like she could be the reason that the armor wars uh, concept gets started yeah absolutely so what else happened in the power broker they find the lab where they were making the super soldier serum yeah. uh and Zemo does the Zemo thing and immediately kills the scientist, the only scientist in the world who can make the super soldier serum. Now, th- this is thing. this is my problem. Like, this is not a problem with uh, her being the power broker, but more with a problem of the concept of her being the power broker. And that's the fact that she knows what Zemo wants to do. Why would she cause such a problem by risking her supplies of super serums uh, by having Zemo be in the same room with this guy? A man who's clearly shown that he's willing to die to get these missions done. Yeah, you think she just never would have let him in the room with him in the first place. Even to the point where, like, yeah, he has a gun that the others don't know about. You still think she wouldn't, like, let him in the same room in the fucking first place. He picked up the gun in there, but also I'm assuming she was going off of the belief that she would be able to get some of the serum that at this time still existed from the Flag Smashers. I know, but, like, the Flag Masher serum can be replicated by this guy who knows how to make the serum. Yeah, but I'd imagine 
if they got their hands on the actual serum, then they'd easily be able to reverse engineer the serum. Uh, it's definitely possible, but risking the, you know, the cow just to get a few yeah. bottles of milk to, you know, possibly synthesize more milk just doesn't make sense. Yeah. True. Especially again, where, like... She also probably just assumed that uh, Sam and Bucky had him under control since he had no weapons at the time. Yeah. I can kind of understand that, but I don't think her plan was to be able to reverse engineer the serum from the Flag Smashers because know, it certainly whole, wasn't at the beginning. The whole rant that this guy goes on when he's talking about recreating the Super Soldier Serum is how a whole bunch of scientists have had access to fucking Isaiah Bradley's blood essentially and none of them have been able to reverse engineer and he's the only scientist in the world who over the course of like 60 years has managed to reverse engineer the fucking super soldier serum and not just reverse engineer it, it, but make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And he got fucking blipped out of existence. And then over the course of the five years, he was blipped. I'm sure making super soldier serum wasn't the top of anyone's to do list, but no one managed to recreate what he had done over those five years. So I think it's safe to say that with him gone, it's unlikely anyone's going to be remaking the Super Soldier Serum anytime soon until yeah. they need another Super Soldier in the MCU. Yeah, I think the only person that would be in the world right now that could possibly do it would probably be the Thinker. Regardless, Nagel dies, and... Uh, yeah, and this is the other uh, problem. Like, Should we assume that the guys that she was fighting were her guys, or guys that just wanted to kill them? They were just uh, bounty hunters out for... Uh... Yeah, because earlier on in the scene... They get hired, or they get framed for the death of Selby, one of the criminals in the Madripoor. I think was the name of the country. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they kill. It's pretty much. Uh, well, they don't. And then yeah. an open bounty was put out on their heads. And yeah. So, so the like, people coming the after them, hunters in the city, are after them. So the people coming after them probably weren't working for the power broker. They were just generic criminals who wanted to collect on the bounty. Yeah. So the the other issue with this is the rocket launcher guy also kind of just kills Nagel, even if Zemo didn't. So I'm just this is a like for a person who's the power broker who is like so good at planning all these things, this seems like just a really shitty part of their plan. I I can understand her reasoning probably was because he had gone into hiding and wasn't helping out the power broker anymore, so she was probably trying to use them to flush him out. But yeah, it was not the best plan in the world because it was a plan that had a high likelihood of getting him killed. Also, she was with uh, Sam and Bucky at the time and didn't want to lose their friendship by, I don't know, making them think that she might not be entirely good. So she'd still want to help them fully. So them being there kind of threw a wrench into her plans to begin with. Yeah, and it might, this might be things that just get resolved later on if they do more oh, with yeah. her in this position. It's just, at face value, what we're seeing with the reveal of, oh, she was the power broker. There's holes in it that make it feel like it was, they just picked the character that fit with the story and not so much thought about it. But again, it could be just a misunderstanding. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll see when uh, we get more with the power broker. Yeah. yeah after uh, all of this crazy stuff, she takes off and then they go to a hiding spot in Lithuania. Yeah, and just before they get there, we see that the Flag Smashers, mostly Carly Morgenthau, blow up a building with a whole bunch of GRC employees still trapped inside. So she kills just a bunch of fucking people because violence is the only language that it 
these people understand anymore, apparently. Only only a couple were killed. A lot were seriously wounded, though, and sent to hospital. Yeah, and and when this happened, the funny thing was, uh, my mind went, oh, of course they would do this, because Harley was sounding too reasonable and agreeable for, like, watching the series. Like, they have to do something to show that, like, oh, yeah, she's the bad guy. Yeah, Yeah, they need to have the kick the puppy moment, where they fully settle that she is someone who needs to be killed by the end of the series. And it even started to show that uh, the people following her were starting to question her motives and question whether or not they should be following her. Yeah, the blowing up the building is definitely the first instant of that coming up where the guy's like, wait, what did you just do? And then she explains, well, violence is our only tool. But yeah, as the series goes on from this point, we do see some people sometimes stepping up and going, I don't know about this. Yeah, because the series up until this point kind of had her coming across a bit too reasonable given the situation, so they kind of had to re-cement her as an actual villain who needed to be resolved. Yeah, she was kind of like a Robin Hood-esque character up to this point. Yeah, and it, until even the final episode where she starts their little together like belief chant and no one else wants to join in right away, whereas yeah. before everyone would jump in immediately when someone starts the chant. Well, yeah, because it seems like up to this point it was, oh, we're doing this to get supplies for the people in need, and it quickly switches to, oh, we're sending a message by killing these people. Yeah. Yeah, it's no longer about helping people, it's about hurting the people on top until they start helping us. Which is a very different stance to take. Yeah, very different from what they signed up for. So at this point, we're halfway through the series. Yeah, and uh, the, the series gets, like, each episode just builds on the last, and it gets better and better. Oh yeah, this definitely had the same situation where like, WandaVision each step episode got me more hype for the next episode. That was absolutely the thing with this one too, where it builds and gets better and better as the series goes on, and each episode is better than the one before. So now we get into episode four, which is the one with a very iconic scene of someone's chest getting caved in by the Captain America shield. Yeah, and this one's interesting too because uh, the last episode ends with Io confronting Bucky. Because, you know, they broke out Zemo, and they found out, oh, Bucky, you did this, you betrayed Wakanda. But it kind of gets diffused a little bit at the beginning of this episode, where he's like, nope, he's just a means to an end, you can have him afterwards, and they give him 24 hours. Yeah, they don't resolve all their issues in 24 hours. Yeah, but it's very buddy comp, like, okay, you got 24 hours, then you're off the case. Yeah. Uh, This is also the episode where we get the very iconic scene of... Bucky's arm being disabled by the Dora Milaje when they finally do come to collect Zemo. Um, There's also the one where Sam decides he's going to try and talk down Carly Morgenthau and explain to her reasonably why that she has to turn herself in, only for uh, Walker to not be willing to give him ten minutes to fucking talk to her. Yeah, and this so is he... one, it's kind of the fun thing of, like, throughout the series, we see kind of walker like the scenes of him like clearly something's off uh and they do it in such a way that you don't actually always notice to unless you're paying attention on him because yeah, so, most of these ones happen when he's in the background of the scene you'll see him start twitching or like kind of yell or something like that like do an angry gesture and it's yeah, never him yeah. focused yeah and at first all you get is that uh like he's more about the action and he doesn't like all of the uh like the meetings and the politics behind the position he has now so he's not one for the strategizing and the talking. He's just about the action and the fighting. 
Yeah, and even there's an earlier uh, episode when he's with the police when they're raiding one of uh, the Flag Smasher areas, and he's like, uh, "Don't give them a moment to do anything, even breathe." And it's like showing like he's like the very aggressive aspect of what he's going for. Yeah, yeah. There's the scene where uh, Lamar is translating for him, and he just starts shouting at the guy who's being translated to for not being honest with them, I yeah, guess. Yeah, and I think the the biggest, like, actually, that might be one of the best scenes for indicating why he's bad as Captain America, because the guy spits on him, and his remark is, do you know who I am? Like, you should have to show me respect I'm Captain America. Yeah, it's, I don't earn respect as Captain America, I am due respect because I'm Captain America. Yeah, just, like, really showing, like, oh, he might be the perfect soldier, but he's not the perfect Captain America, or... I guess part of the series is indicating that there is no perfect Captain America. It's each Captain America has their own thing. But I don't think his thing is kind of what we want associated with the Captain America mantle. Uh, no. Yeah, because the whole point of being Captain America is you represent America, the country, on a global scale. And Whereas I mean, he, he definitely... He was, more, rep- he was more America's ideal soldier. He definitely rec- represents an aspect of America, just probably not the aspect that they want parading around on the global... Uh, stage especially after uh, the murder yep yep uh, so with this scene it's essentially but uh sam wants to talk to kari and kind of talk her down because he believes she has a chance to come back before it gets too far uh but and yeah he starts to get through to her yeah he actually is making a good case to talk to her. and you have to keep in mind he was you know a, a counselor for like veterans so like He's definitely really good at talking to people that have gone through traumatic experiences, you know, helping them. And that's kind of his, I guess, Captain America power itself. Whereas Steve gave people hope. Uh, Sam was able to, like, mediate really well, I guess is the best way yeah. to put it. He, he's a good, like, negotiator and, like, bridging of people. He's good at, like, speaking to people's hearts, Yeah, is how I would phrase it. Like, this is going to sound weird, but, like, Steve was able to bring up the best in the people around him, whereas, like, Sam has a really good understanding of people as a whole and has a good capacity to talk to people on a level that they'll understand and be able to help them. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, essentially in the scene, Walker ruins everything by charging in. He starts twitching and walking around. And even Zemo's given the eyes, like, hmm, something's wrong with that one. Yeah. And then, uh, they end up losing Carly as she runs through the tunnels around the place where they're holding the funeral, only for Zemo to be the one to catch her. He fires the gun at her, and she drops the uh, remaining uses of the serum. As she dives for cover, because her plan was to increase the size of their forces for their final yeah. assault. And this is the part where I think, like, I enjoyed Zemo up to this point, but, like, he's still a villain. But this is the part where it's like, you know, he's a villain, but I like I can respect his villainy. Is the best. Yeah, part he's yeah, he's the kind of villain who has such clearly defined motivations that, unlike John Walker, who you hate, Zemo's the kind of villain who like you have begrudging respect for while he does what he does because he has such clearly defined morals and motivations. Yeah, he yeah. corners he corners her, and then she drops the serums. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you're cornered. I have my gun up to you, but these are the serums. I'm going to just destroy these, okay? You, you're fine. Yeah, he didn't now. try to use it for himself or do something like that. Like, oh, I need to I'm just going to get rid of these because no like, one can use them. This is bad. Get rid of all of this. But he misses one. Yeah. 
And you, can you guess who finds the one that he missed? I'll give you a hint. It's the worst possible person for it to fall into his hands. Oh, no, Thanos. <laughs> oh, that actually is kind of horrifying to imagine what would happen if Thanos got his hands on Super Soldier Serum. Would it actually make him more powerful? I mean, physically. Anyways. Well, it depends on how it would affect... His snap would take up three quarters of the population. Alien physiology or whatever. Regardless, fucking it falls into John Walker's hands. Um, I think this is the point when we have to discuss... uh, Before the series came out, Matt's a little bit less familiar with the comic books than me and Keith. And so we were trying to explain the difference between U.S. Agent, who is very clearly who John Walker was supposed to be representing, the difference between him and Steve Rogers, uh, and the whole uh, metaphor that we ended up using was that Steve Rogers believes drugs are bad and John Walker very clearly believes that drugs are good. And so the moment he picks up this super soldier serum, you can see him thinking, I got to get this inside my body as soon as possible. Yeah. And he's like, he's had some difficulties with fights up to this point. And he kind of like, well, they're super soldiers. I guess that doesn't matter too much. And I think the cementing of like, I'm taking this serum is the scene later with the Dora Malaje where he's like, he gets in like the pissing contest with Io, and then she immediately is like having none of that, and they kick the shit out of him. Yeah. Like, so, fucking, even Bucky gives him advice, and he's like, man, these aren't the kind of people you want to be picking a fight with. Like, and fucking. <laughs> My favorite thing was John Walker trying to explain that the Dora Milaje don't have a jurisdiction in Lithuania. Meanwhile, he's Captain America who has exactly as much jurisdiction there in fucking Lithuania. It was pretty classic American uh, attitude. Yep. But then I liked their response. We have jurisdiction anywhere we go. <laughs> Which yep. is also a bit troublesome, but they beat, yeah. up jo- they beat up John Walker, so I don't think anyone noticed that one. Uh, meanwhile, John Walker, managed- John Walker and Lamar, I guess he's also there, managed to keep them busy enough that no one notices Zemo escaping through the toilet. Tunnel, tunnel in the bathroom there, next there, to the there was a sewer tunnel underneath the tub yeah yeah regardless he escapes so they can't manage to uh track him down and then we cut to fucking uh john walker asking lamar if he could get the super soldier serum would he take it in a second and john walker or not john walker lamar essentially explains like super soldier serum doesn't make you a bad person it just makes you more of yourself and we already know you're a good person because of the purple heart that you have there. So you'd only become a better person. Yeah, and... because Lamar turned out to be another driving point for why he took the serum, too. Because they were great friends, and Lamar just kept giving him what sounded like good advice. Well, that, that's the like, thing with... you, you always make the right choice when, it, when you're in the... or when the situation yeah, demands it. Yeah, and to be fair, I wouldn't say that... John Walker himself is a bad guy. Even in the comics, Agent uh, U.S. Agent isn't a bad guy. He's an anti-hero. He's the yeah. more aggressive Captain yeah. America that will do the shady stuff. So, with that, like, I don't like the character of John Walker, but I can understand the character of John Walker. And Lamar was very much his moral compass that made him get on the track. So when uh, Lamar ends up getting killed at the end of this episode, that's kind of his snapping point, and he loses it fully. Yep, goes off the deep end. Big time. To be fair, this also, or this episode also has like one of the best kind of, not even that this is what it was trying to do, but one of the best explanations for PTSD that I've ever heard, which is uh, Lamar like pointing out his purple heart and saying like that's a sign that he's a good soldier. 
and John Walker explaining, like, can you imagine having the worst day of your life become the thing that everyone wants to talk to you about whenever they interact with you? Because if you're in a situation where you can earn a Purple Heart, it's probably going to be the worst fucking day of your life, and there's some really terrible shit going down. So John Walker kind of explaining, like, that was not a good day, even if it ended up making me look good. It was, I think, actually a really good amount of character development for him. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. They put so much work in developing him that I was like, I don't think this is a character they're going to kill off. I think they're going to save him for the series. And then at once that was kind of established, like, okay, Carly's going to die before the series is done. Uh, yeah, it was one of those things where in the beginning part of the series, you knew either Carly or John Walker was going to be alive at the end to be a reoccurring character in future Captain America movies. And then by the time you had this level of character development, because this is also around the same time as Carly's taking deeper and deeper strides into becoming a villain you kind of get the realization Carly's going to be dead and John Walker's going to be around for future Captain America movies. Even though he's going to require quite a lot of uh, character recuperation after caving in someone's chest with the Captain America shield. Yeah, because yeah, so. they get in the fight with the Flag Smasher, so it's, you know, uh, Team Captain America versus, uh, with Team uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier versus them. And she uh, Carly ends up killing Lamar specifically. And... The best thing about this, too, is, like, oh, not to say, like, it was like, oh, man, Lamar, I fucking hate that guy. Glad he's dead. But they were all trying to kill each other, like, five minutes ago. But when someone actually killed somebody, everyone's just like, oh, shit, what the fuck? Yeah, everyone's like, oh, shit, someone's actually dead. And then they all, like, everyone in the room looks towards uh, Walker as he's, like, cradling Lamar's corpse. And, like, this is not going to end well. It, it, it just... I couldn't help but giggle a little bit at the fact that, like, they all, like, oh, wait, this kills people was kind of the reaction. Yeah. Fair. What were you I expecting? Mean, you already called out the fact that Falcon stopped using guns, so clearly he was under the assumption that people weren't going to die. We were just going to punch each other for a little bit, maybe go home afterwards, some of us get arrested, possibly. So that's Killing what somebody though? when Captain America was around? <laughs> But yeah, uh, he ends up dying, uh, and Walker goes off the deep end. Now, up to this scene, we were getting hints that Walker had taken serum because, like, he was like kept flexing his arm, he was twitching a little bit more, and his shield was going into things. But like, and then there's a the part earlier he where the pipe gets a bent. gun. I thought it was a pipe. Oh yeah, yeah, a pipe. But, and Still. to be fair, that could have been like, oh, maybe it was the person with the super serum that he was fighting that bent the pipe. But, like, this part, like, when this happens, it's, like, the full-blown, like, he has the serum. He jumps out the window, smashes a cart, and then runs down with their super soldier. Yeah. yeah. And that's how this episode ends, with him standing above Buddy's corpse with a bloody shield. Well, he's saying it wasn't me and clearly surrenders. Yep. Uh, so now we get into episode five. I think episode five had probably the least amount of action since the first episode but had like the best amount of character growth for the characters itself. Because besides the first like scene, which is Bucky and Sam kicking the shit out of John Walker and stealing a shield, there's not really any other fight scenes in this episode, but that one fight scene, first of all, had fucking phenomenal coordination where you can see John Walker wearing down both Bucky and Sam and then just like exhaustedly fucking taking the shield and breaking his arms. Oh yeah, uh, like this uh, this fight here is probably my favorite in the whole series. Uh, that happened. It's also the one where Falcon's wings gets destroyed. Yeah, he yeah. breaks the Falcon's uh, wings because, like, 
yeah, the fights in the last episode are cool, but they're more of like showing off how great uh, Captain America is now, uh, the Sam Wilson version. Whereas this fight uh, in this episode is a lot more like, this felt like this would be the fight you'd expect at the end of a series, normally. Yeah, this fight was definitely enjoyable. But then once this fight's over, it's a lot of Sam and Bucky talking about the events of the first four episodes and like coming to terms with what's happened. And kind of like building up towards the final episode. But it has some great character growth. Like the fact that Sam realizes the only way that he can fix his sister's boat, which has been kind of the B plot line of this series, where his sister's going broke and she has to sell the boat, but no one will buy the boat because the boat's in too rough a shape. So he ends up deciding that to fix the ship, he needs the help of the entire community. And then fucking Bucky shows up and also helps him like work on the ship for a couple days. And also kind of starts hitting on. Uh... Sam's sister. It's just a Sam's super like, feel good yeah, episode. No, don't do that. I will feed you to the fish. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, mainly Bucky's here because Bucky went and found Zemo at the uh, Sokovia um, monument, and there's the moment there where they're kind of talking, and then he pulls the gun, and it looks like he's about to kill him, and then he drops the bullet after pulling the trigger. He's like, it's an empty gun, and then Zemo's like, I took the liberty of writing my name off your list, and then the Dolomage, they take him, and it's like, oh, we're taking him to the raft. Yep. So yeah, uh, he calls a favor on him, and it's like, oh, I need you to do something. Turns out that was making uh, Sam's Captain America suit, and that's what he shows up with in this episode specifically. Yeah, he ostensibly shows up to deliver, but then just ends up hanging out with him for a couple days, having a good time. Yeah, yeah. they become buddies, and then we get to really see the power that Sam has exemplified in this episode. Yeah, we also have Sam decides to go back and talk to Isaiah Bradley a bit more to kind of figure out why he didn't want to become Captain America. This is where we get the backstory of everything that happened to Isaiah Bradley and why he's so jaded and how he explains that in his mind a black man can never be Captain America because America doesn't respect black people, uh, essentially. I feel weird talking about these points. Um yeah, like, uh, essentially this comes down to the whole episode is Sam coming to the conclusion and making the choice that I will be Captain America. Yeah, yeah despite it, the fact that not everyone may accept it, it is something that I can do and I should do. And then we kind of end off with Sam and Bucky practicing throwing the shield around at some trees to get a better feel for handle how to handle the shield. We also get uh, a scene that I found, I giggled at this scene, which was Torres contacting Sam to tell him that he's trying to track down the uh, Flag Smashers ever since their last event and he's had a tough time. But he notices that there's this specific ping through the app that they all use uh, that triggers, uh, and it just triggered in New York, but they're probably using like some sort of masking system, so there might not actually be in New York, but that's just where it most recently pinged. At the same fucking time as the GRC are having a very big, important meeting of how to deal with all the people that the Flag Smashers care about in New York. It's just like, you couldn't have put two and two together and figure they're probably actually in New York City. Also, yeah. earlier on, Torres, you were on the app where they sent out the requests. Couldn't you have just checked the app to see where they were requesting fucking people? Oh, look, it's New York. Well, You're probably... look That and it's specifically the meeting to forcefully remove all of the people. Yeah, yeah it was... Sam might want to get a new guy in the chair. Well, obviously it's not going to be Taurus for long, because as we already discussed, Taurus is clearly going to become the Falcon. 
yeah. crew. But yeah, it was just kind of funny. I was like, Tora's like being like, I don't know. All the clues point towards New York, but I don't know for sure where they are. And Sam just being like, oh, so they're probably in New York. And Tora's like, if you say so, I guess. I might, really, let's think about it. What are the odds about everything happening in New York? The, uh, the invasion from Thanos, the second invasion from Thanos, all the Loki bullshit. It's all in New York. Yeah. Uh, so that's where that episode ends, except we get a post-credit scene of Walker building a shield out of scrap metal. Now, uh, this, of... Is, this is the fucking stupidest thing. Clearly Walker doesn't know why the shield works. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't realize that the shield is actually made out of vibranium, and that's why it has all the fun properties it does. He just thinks it's a metal shield. So it's literally just him welding scrap metal together into the same shape as the original shield. And assuming it'll still work out the same fucking way. It, it's the, the dumbest shit. Oh, it is. And I love the fact that the shield barely lasts like two minutes in the next episode. Yeah. 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 I think he throws it maybe three times. And the third time he throws it, it breaks. The first time it's bent. Yeah. It's fucking great. Uh, final episode is also the one where we see kind of uh, Carly take the full step over the edge to villainhood because... She kidnaps the people from the GRC. Like, originally her plan is to take them all to one place where, from what I understood, she could convince them to, uh, essentially by holding them hostage, to help the refugees instead of hurting them. But then has two trucks and a helicopter with them and keeps trying to sacrifice the different trucks and helicopters. Well, the plan, is specific, the plan specifically, if we can't get them to do what we want, we just kill them. Yeah, but she keeps using the hostages as, like, dangling bait for Sam because she thinks he'll go after the hostages instead of her, which is entirely accurate, but... Yeah, because Sam and Bucky show up and they start chasing her, and she's like, uh, what's more uh, important to them? Saving innocent people or chasing down me? Uh, set the innocent people on fire. Yeah, like, she knows who her her opponents are, so she's playing it really well. But, uh, like, this... We start off with the Batrock the Leaper fight. Because we found out in a previous episode, end credit. I believe it was episode four. Uh, end credit. Oh no, it would have been the end credit for five. Yeah, episode five, where we saw that Carter was the one who sent Badrock the Leaper, and then Badrock the Leaper meets up with Carly, and he's going to be working with them to kill Sam specifically. And we start off with yeah. the Sam fight because they kind of are getting the people like it's like Bucky's one job is to make sure that they don't escape with the hostages. Carter is yeah. watching the exit, and then Sam's fighting Patrick at the top. Of course, she yeah, gets out with the uh, hostages, though. And I like how Carter's like, he had one job, Bucky. Yeah, because like, like he went in to stop them from leaving in the first place, or to protect them, but then discovers that they should stay there. But then he starts his fight, and uh, Carly calls up Bucky on the phone and distracts him. Yeah. Uh, but one of my favorite moments uh, in this episode happens after the uh, new Captain America uh, Sam shows up and the guy's like who are you? He's like Captain America it's like I thought he was on the moon <laughs> yeah. yes that's a great one also to like call it back a little bit in an earlier I think it was like in episode 2 uh, fucking Falcon got called out as Black Falcon and he's like yes. I'm not Black Falcon I'm just Falcon and then you get a moment later in this one where he's Captain America and one of the people in the crowd refers to him as Black Captain America and he's like I'm just Captain America well he didn't say it the other guy says uh, no that's yeah. Captain America yeah that, sorry that's what it is but yeah it's clearly just trying to get out ahead of people referring to him as Black Captain America and he's like no it's just Captain America the name is just the one that we give him 
So yes, we get some pretty good fight scenes where it's essentially it actually comes down to Bucky and Sarah and Walker fighting against the superpowered individuals while Sam is trying to save a helicopter and once he saves that he shows up to the fight. Uh, so um, uh, one of my other favorite scenes is actually even though you you know John Walker's got that face you just want to punch his heroic entrance in this episode that scene is actually pretty great because he's like yeah. walking and he's here Carly Burnthal and uh, Morgenthal and then he, she looks over and she's like giving the whole like oh I don't want you know you're not a problem here like let's not get this and I didn't even want to care, kill Lamar he's not important. And it's like, that's definitely the wrong thing you want to say to this man at this point. Yeah, you don't want to tell this guy that the person you killed, who is his entire motivation for wanting to kill you, was an insignificant person to you. You don't, that's not the line you do to convince someone not to kill you out of revenge. Yeah, because up, I feel like episode six does a good job of kind of starting a redemption arc for John Walker, which, like, it's very entertaining because... His whole thing here, he's here to kill Carly specifically, and he's like, do whatever he can, and Bucky shows that he's changed, because he goes after the civilians first before trying to stop her. And then we get the cool moment where she realizes they're losing the fight, and she goes to drive the truck off the platform into the construction site to kill everyone inside. And he sees her, and he's like, I can go after her, but he makes the call of, I'm going to save the citizens, which kind of, like, redeems himself. Like, he shows that he's not just, you know, bloodthirsty anymore, he started he's, to understand what it is to be Captain America. Yeah, he's not yeah. just about the fighting anymore. Yeah, he definitely has redemption. Unfortunately, he on his own is not able to successfully save the hostages inside the truck. But Sam shows up a couple seconds later and manages to successfully save the hostages inside the truck. Yeah, and this is where the end part of it kind of splits into, I guess, two separate parts, because they're trying to track them through the underground. Uh, Carly splits off by herself, and then the other two that are with her kind of go off in their own direction. So it ends up being yeah. Bucky and John that get split off, which, you know, I guess that's kind of funny that those two are the ones together. And then Sam, of course, goes off by himself, because he has to have the showdown with Carly. Yeah. And this is where and we get a few uh, interesting reveals. Yeah, this is where we finally get the reveal that Sharon Carter has been the power broker all along, because Batrock spells it out for us. Yeah, and then she immediately kills Batrock, and then Carly ends up shooting her. So we get that awkward situation of Sam shows up, and it looks like Carly has shot everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sam ends up taking down Carly. Um, yeah, Sharon ends up taking down. Well, that's the because it's the scene where like they have the cool fight where it like exemplifies that Sam is able to use his suit and his shield to match uh, a super soldier, but he's not actually trying to fight her. He's trying to you know get through to her still. And yeah, the she's got he's, the gun. Yeah, he's continuing to talk to her, and she's getting quite uh, angry at the fact that he's not fighting back. He's just defending himself. And then he ends up kind of holding her still for a second, still trying to get through. And then Carter pulls out a gun and shoots Carly, thus resolving that situation. Yep. Uh, what I like on the other side, though, is when the other super soldiers come on the other end, and it's uh, Bucky and Walker there. And they're like, oh, we actually tricked you to come this way with your cell phone. Uh, paying off the fact that, yeah, Carly might have given him the like, once over, uh, tricked him to get the hostage out, but he used the same thing to trick them back. Yeah. Yeah. So then the uh, bad guys are captured and they're sent away to the raft. The ones who were working for Carly but weren't Carly because Carly's dead. 
only for Zemo's butner, butler to uh, hold on to his role as supporting Zemo in his every endeavor by killing the superpowered individuals before they can make it to the raft. Yep, so we get like a, you know, all those fun like after credit things where like uh, Isaiah Bradley now has a part in the Captain America Museum. Now, there is an issue with this specifically, and that's Isaiah Bradley didn't want to be known because he was scared that people would want to kill him. Did Sam confirm no one was going to kill this man by doing this? No, but he also didn't really reveal that he was a super soldier. More, see, I got the understanding that he didn't reveal that, or he did reveal that he was a super soldier, but didn't reveal that he was alive today. It was more so like it was, it was uh, more like an a exhibit memorial. on, yeah, and it was, a, it was an exhibit on someone who fought in the Korean War, and not necessarily someone who is alive today. Okay. More so, this was someone who had the super soldier serum. Because all of the official records state that he is dead. Yeah, so it's just, it, in my mind, that? I was having the weird thought process when this happened. Like, did he have this awkward conversation with the politician guys? Like, okay, now first you need to promise, if I tell you this, you can't go kill this guy. You need to promise yeah. me that you're not going to try to kill this guy. <laughs> so See, my, <laughs> my understanding of it was more so of the lines of, hey, there's this guy who died during the Korean War but who also had super soldiers him. I just kind of discovered his life recently. You should make a memorial to him. Cause all the like pictures of him were of him as a much younger man. There wasn't a picture of like old Isaiah Bradley. It was all pictures of him when he was still a soldier. So Not fair enough. I like, obviously they didn't spell it out clearly or anything. Cause we wouldn't have this debate if they did. It's just my interpretation was it was a entry in the museum about his life and not so much about his recent life. That's yeah. Fair. That's pretty much uh, what I thought, too. Yeah, so that kind of wraps up that side of things. Bucky ends up finally telling the truth to Yori, and we don't really get what happens after that, but it doesn't really matter because, as Sam put it, it's not so much about making yourself feel better, it's about making others to make amends. Yep. Uh, And then Uh, we have the Carter scene where she gets reinstated back to the CIA, and then she's like, oh, the information's now back on the menu, boys. Yeah, and we get... lining up our buyers. Uh, Walker is officially given the title of U.S. agent from Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah, so uh, Dave Fontaine is the character, which we kind of skipped over that part, but when he gets to the trial and gets stripped of his Captain America status after killing that man uh, in not America, in the middle of the public, uh, she shows up and it's like, hey, uh, you did the right thing taking that serum. Uh, I'm going to need your help, uh, so when I call, make sure to answer. And then I like the part where the wife's like, who are you? What's going on? And she just gives her a blank black card. Like that answers everything. And she's like, there's nothing on this. Yeah. And she hands her a blank card and says, when I call, make sure you answer. And it's just like, how do we know it's you calling? You gave us a blank card and I'm willing to bet your phone number isn't listed to the point where it will come up under caller ID. Yeah. So she ends up becoming, yeah. uh, it feels like, well, she's the one who kind of sets up in names Walker as U.S. agent after he changes because he's not Captain America. Yeah, she calls out, like, this isn't a world where we need you as Captain America. We need you to fill a different role, a sort of like a U.S. agent or something. Which doesn't even imply that she's calling him U.S. agent. She's just saying he's an agent of the U.S. And it just feels like the way she phrased it, that's going to get stuck as his name, even though it wasn't intended to be a name. Because the way he took it, it's like, hey, that's what I'm called. I like that title, U.S. agent. Yeah. But I liked the way she introduced herself. It's like, Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. You can call me Val, but don't actually call me Val. You can think it, but don't call it. Don't call me that. 
Yeah, so the name hard to remember, so you can call me Val. But don't actually call me Val. Just think of the name Val. So plot-wise, in the comics, uh, she's a was a big character reveal that we actually got because she's actually uh, was originally Nick Fury's kind of like love interest, who ended up becoming a Hydra agent. But then jokes on you, she's actually a double agent working for Shield, but she's infiltrated Hydra to take him down. But she ends up getting possessed by Leviathan and becomes Madame Hydra for a little bit. So she's got like an all over the place kind of story, but. I guess the best way yeah, to put she, it is she's a darker character, but she's not a bad guy per se. Yeah, because she gives off the kind of vibe that she's off. Like, not everything is as it seems. Well, the speculation... Like, not, not in a bad way, but not entirely good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure her character arc in the comic books was she started as, like, a sleeper agent in Italy, and then after her parents died, she moved to America and joined S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was just like, okay, yep, yeah, that's... Yeah, and she's her, whole, her, her big story arc was infiltrating Hydra to take it down from the inside, working for, like, from the reader perspective, it looks like she was actually a double agent working for Hydra to infiltrate S.H.I.E.L.D., but it was actually back and forth where she was actually truly a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who infiltrated Hydra. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the speculation with what's going on with this character in the story is that she's actually going to be the Nick, Fer- Nick Fury-esque character setting up the Thunderbolts for Ross. That does make sense. So she's recruited uh, Walker, obviously. Uh, we do know that there's a few characters on the raft that could be recruited as well. Abomination and Zemo are both there. And Zemo is actually one of the uh, iteration leaders of Thunderbolts. So I think that we might see an emphasis on Thunderbolts over the Disney Plus series or even a few of the movies. And that's actually speculation on why Ross is going to be in the Black Widow movie. And it's going to be that he's actually recruiting uh, Black Widow's sister for the Thunderbolts at the end. Fair enough. I could also see. Uh, oh my god! Why is his name escaping me right now? The bad guy from Black Widow. Oh, Taskmaster. Yeah, he's definitely a possible. Uh, yeah, I definitely can see Taskmaster being involved with the Thunderbolts as well. Yeah, there's just a lot of characters that are associated with the Thunderbolts in some capacity that are in play right now. That with her character kind of recruiting him yeah. and what she's doing, it implies that they were getting like a darker force. Yeah. So, what were you guys' thoughts on the uh, series as a whole? Well, overall, I'm a big fan of this one. I've always been a more fan of like the action-oriented stuff than the Marvel Universe, of course. I did like WandaVision, but it the biggest fault of it is it felt too foreign to what was going on in the series. Like, definitely, it got more interesting and cooler as it went on. But I feel like because it was so different, it felt quite like not watching a Marvel yeah, this one definitely felt a lot more like a Marvel property than WandaVision did. WandaVision was definitely super enjoyable, but this one was its own separate thing that was quite different. And that's the thing, we're um, getting into the new phase right now, so I feel like they have to do something to really change it up from the first saga, which was the Infinity Gauntlet, because with that whole storyline done, you don't want it to just be like a rehashing, but with a different MacGuffin, you want to kind of shift the universe. And I think magic and multiverse is definitely going to be the way we're going. Like, things being not quite what you think. So. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to pull something like an Axis storyline or something like that. Yeah, I can definitely see it being, because Phase 1 was largely about aliens, I can definitely see them leaning more into the wizard aspect of the Big 3 for this one. <laughs> um, I I was a huge fan of this. As I kind of said at the beginning, I definitely preferred it to WandaVision, not that I disliked WandaVision, it's just this was more so what I was looking for from the Disney Plus series. Yeah, I was a big fan of this. I think it was overwhelmingly positive, and I 
think it was the right move to make this a Disney Plus story because they could have easily tried to make this one of the like the next Captain America movie to drive the plot, but they would have had to have cut a lot out and make the pacing very different to make it work as a movie. And I just don't think it would have worked as well if they tried to make this storyline into a movie. That's yeah. true. And I also kind of liked how it didn't feel like it still felt like a Marvel movie, but it didn't feel like a superhero movie. Yeah, it, it, felt, it kind like, of gave uh, me the old vibes of the first Iron Man movie where it wasn't a hero movie, but like he was doing stuff because he knew he could help people. Yeah, it felt less like the story of a superhero movie and more so the story of people who exist in a superhero world. Yeah, and trying yeah. to find their place. Yeah. And also a thing to mention, we have had confirmation that there is going to be a Captain America 4 movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's bringing us to the end. So, in normal fashion, do you guys have any suggestions of things that the people listening should take a look at? Yeah, I guess I'll go first for this. Um, since this is, uh, I guess, a continuation of the legacy of Captain America and like the American icon, I decided to go with a kind of American-themed action movie by the movie of White House Down, where a uh, Capitol Policeman is kind of forced into a situation where, I guess, terrorists, I guess you can call them, are attacking the White House for their own reasons, and he must save his daughter and his pre and the president. Yeah, I believe it's been uh, called the modern diehard, actually. Yeah. It's like, it's very Wait, similar. Which one are you talking about? White House Down or Olympus Has Fallen? White House, White House Down. Down. Okay, good. Because Olympus it's... Has Fallen is a very similar vein, but... I did not like Olympus Has Fallen nearly as much. Yeah, that yeah, one hasn't been not referred as... to as the modern diehard. No. Yeah, that's why I had to make the clarification that we were talking about uh, White House Down. Because yes, White House White Down House... is a very fun movie. Like, my opinion, White House Down is a very enjoyable action movie. Olympus Has Fallen, it was an action movie, but way too gritty and too over-glorifying of the whole concept of we will never negotiate with terrorists and just way too hard into that aspect. Yeah, White House Down was a movie that was made for people to have fun watching it. Olympus Has Fallen is a movie that was made because they thought it would make for a good fucking story. Is yeah. how it felt to me. They were a bit too full of themselves while making White House Down. <laughs> also, they had a British guy trying to save the White House, which was... Or not a British, Scottish? What Gerard, is... Gerard Butler? Spell? Yeah. Yeah. He's Scottish, isn't he? Whatever. It doesn't matter. They had a Scottish guy trying to save the White House, and that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, my recommendation is going to be uh, the Lethal Weapon TV series, uh, because that's kind of what this one felt like it was uh, trying to be all... Well, not what this felt like it was trying to be, but this TV series felt like the ideal version of the Lethal Weapon TV series. Um, so Lethal Weapon is a buddy cop TV series. Uh, about Riggs and Murtaugh and them solving crimes, just like the movie series. Um, yeah, a, another super fun kind of buddy cop story about people fighting crime, except it doesn't involve superpowers. So if superheroes and Marvel isn't your thing, then just watch the Le uh, Lethal Weapon TV series instead. Uh, so you see, the funny thing about this is that uh, for my recommendation, I was actually going to recommend the Lethal Weapon movie. Fucking of course you were. <laughs> Well, it's like a buddy cop series, and I got very much Lethal Weapon vibes from some of the stuff going on here, and it's pretty much the same thing, but it's movie form, the original. 
with uh, Donald yeah. Glover and Mel Gibson. Oh yeah, I was considering doing the Lethal Weapon movie series, but I just figured I'd make a reference to the slightly more recent one that I don't think it got as much viewership as the original movies did. Oh yeah, definitely. The, the Lethal Weapon TV show was good, but unfortunately it was short-lived because the guy playing uh, Riggs was actually a real-life psychopath. Yeah, he was actually not a good person in real life, which is fun. Uh, and they tried to replace him with Sean William Scott, and he's an actual good person in real life, but when you change one of your main characters halfway through a series, it doesn't tend to do well for the series. And yeah, no. So with that, uh, we actually have a rare occasion today, uh, and that is that somebody has correctly guessed the episode on our Instagram page. Ooh. Really? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Tachi Camargo has correctly guessed Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Good for you, Tachi. I know you've tried to guess it a couple times now. He actually got it exactly right for once. Congratulations. For some reason, you spelled it Falcon and Winter Soldier and not Mephisto and Winter Mephisto, but... Close enough that you'll get the call out. Yeah, well, I'll let that slide for now. But yeah, Until uh, Mr. actually shows his face. <laughs> He's going to show up eventually, and everyone's going to... I hope they don't try to play any, like, mind games when they introduce Mephisto into the world. They just, like, here's Mephisto, without any indication that Mephisto is coming. I just want it to be, like, in a fucking Spider-Man movie. Like, it's not even a movie where you're expecting it, like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. They just have, like, fucking Willem Dafoe walk onto the screen and, like, shake fucking Tom Holland's hand. And he's just like, how's it going? And he's like, who who are you? He's like, oh, me, I'm Mephisto. And then they just cut to black. Like, I just want that to be the introduction of Mephisto. No, no. What, what I want to happen is, uh, so they're doing damage control. And I want damage control to, like, have a moment where it's like, oh, shit, we have to go ask the boss. And it's just someone knocking on the door and opens it. It's like, excuse me, Mr. Mephisto? Fair. Um... Regardless of how they go about introducing him, I made that joke, like, that was an offhand joke, but now I really want it to be Willem Dafoe playing Mephisto, based entirely on how he played Ryuk in the live-action Death Note, which we talked about two weeks ago. And by we talked about two weeks ago, I mean we've released the episode where we talked a year ago about him. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think that would be good casting. So, congratulations, Tachi. I don't know how I started talking about Mephisto when we were trying to congratulate you for correctly guessing, but congratulations. I believe this currently makes you the guessing leader. I think it does, actually. Yes. Brand new record of one. I think it's two. I think they actually correctly guessed two? another one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's one and a half, because I think we gave them shit for a previous one, <laughs> and we're willing to give them half points. I, honestly, I lost track how many times we give people shit. If they get a call out on our show, we're probably giving them shit, I'll be honest. Well, if it's you, Peter, it's every time. Matt, I try and be friendly and supportive. I don't need... That's what it was. It was uh, last... Or not last episode, but the episode before when we talked about the uh, Pokemon Adventure comic. Uh, Tachi just guessed Pokemon, and we gave her half points for that. So she has one and a half points. Well, this will wrap up our episode for this week. Uh, of course, if you have a suggestion on what our podcast is about, or just have a comment, an input, or even a correction, email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. That is spelt as words normally are. Of course, we are also on YouTube, uh, so please subscribe to that channel or watch the episodes there. Leave a comment below. And of course, if you can rate and review our podcast, that helps it just get out to more people. Um, 
uh, we have had quite a bit of growth. In fact, uh, some fun thing here for uh, you listening today. Even though this is our second episode released uh, since uh, we had to go back in lockdown, last episode was actually our start of our third year doing the podcast. Happy third birthday. So this is the uh, technically the first official episode we released for the season, but technically we started off with uh, Death Note. Yeah, this is the first episode that we've recorded for the uh, third year of our podcast. Very exciting stuff. Yep, so definitely make sure you put some information in if you want to uh, suggest an episode. Uh, we don't just do that for Fanuary, of course. I mean, we will absolutely do it during Fanuary, but if you have a good topic, we'll talk about it outside of Fanuary as well. Uh, so with if you have a bad topic, I'll give you shit during the podcast. <laughs> Even if you have a good topic, I'll give you shit during the podcast. Especially if your good topic, in air quotes, is just asking us to talk about My Little Pony again. Then I'm absolutely going to give you shit. I think I should just make a, a random email account to post a suggestion that we do it. Just to make you suffer. No, Matt. No. So, I guess this wraps up the episode, so make sure to turn in in a fortnight when we do our next episode. And now, join us in two weeks' time when we talk about trade wars and politics from long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Thank you.